Shall we pray as we turn to God's word? Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that your spirit would be our teacher this morning. We ask, Lord, that this would be an exercise of our minds but also of our hearts and wills. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Anne's prayer this morning, she included a prayer, quite understandably, for the country of New South Wales uh, that's becoming increasingly in the grip of drought. Uh, over 90, I think it's 94% or 96% of the state now has been dry de- drought declared. Um, it's been dry in Sydney, those of you that have got gardens. In our garden, the only thing that's growing at the moment is weeds. That's that August delight when we've had no rain and the, the beginning of spring starting to happen, but there's nothing growing but the weeds. It's been a warm period during the day, but it's been very cold overnight. And uh, in particularly parts of the state where there's uh, frosts, it's very tough. And for a farmer, they must wonder, when will this end? Hopefully it will end. When again will there be rain? I had a young officer on a ship one day asked me some questions about my faith. And one of his questions astounded me. He said, Padre, do you think that God will ever make a comeback? Will the spiritual drought ever end, he was asking. It was a fascinating question. And I think it's a question that is a good question to look at this passage at the start of Philippians. Will God ever make a comeback? For the Apostle Paul was facing a much bleaker situation than any of us have ever faced. The Apostle Paul was in jail, a very bleak Roman jail, and the fledgling Christian faith that he had adopted and was promoting must have looked to many that it was about to be extinguished. And in this context, the Apostle talks about the things that really matter when our faith is under pressure. And of course, the beginning of that is faith itself. The first couple of verses in verse 12 say, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dared all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You see, you need the eyes of faith to believe that being in a Roman prison is good and will see the advancement of the gospel. Here is Paul, the great preacher of the New Testament faith, trapped in a Roman prison, and he sees this as a positive. For the gospel is going out. Faith is believing in things unseen, and it's very much unseen for the apostle to believe that this is good. He puts his faith in God even when his faith is very much in the minority. His confidence in God, in spite of what he can see, in spite of the fact that the faith itself doesn't seem to be growing, it seems to be under persecution. Paul could see that wherever he was planted, his job was to be a witness to Christ, and therefore he couldn't be stopped because he was always going to be somewhere this side of heaven. 
As a pastor, again in Anne's prayer, she prayed for the selection committee, thinking about who it will be who's the next senior pastor of this church. The pastor of a church's job is to train and equip the troops, to train and equip the people of God to live in the world. As a chaplain in the Navy, my job's a little different. My job is not to train and equip the troops, but to be actually out there in the world and to exercise what you might call incarnational ministry. That is, living amongst people. I'm at times tempted to say living amongst the enemy, behind enemy lines, but that's not completely fair because the sailors and the officers of the Royal Australian Navy are not the enemy. Many of them may not know much about God, but they are created in the image of God. They are loved by God. And my task as a chaplain is to express that love of God and kindness and care and support by living and working amongst sailors and officers. And that job is a hundred times easier than what Paul faced in a Roman prison, where he was literally chained to a wall, fed virtually nothing, but saw as an opportunity where he was to be the incarnate Christ. Paul's faith was impressive. He reads on in verse 15, It is true that some preach Christ out of injury or rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am here, put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that, is that in every way, whether for false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Paul is grateful even though he's in chains, he can still preach, and he's even prepared to be a man of faith when he looks on at the fact that his fellow believers may even be preaching the gospel for the wrong motives. Sometimes our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ don't help our cause, but yet Paul saw nevertheless the advantage that those were bearing witness to Christ. A chaplain is called to be incarnational, but all Christians are called to be incarnational. We were recently, Wendy and I, up in the, in the New South Wales country at a small Presbyterian church, and I was chatting with the minister about, they had two Bible study groups in the church, and he said, one of them's fine and one of them's terrible. And I said, what's wrong with the terrible one? Well, he said, the problem with this group is they just sit around all the time discussing how evil the world is how fearful they are of the world, how glad they have this group that protects them from the world, but, but how wrong the world is and how it's getting worse. Now, we're all tempted to talk like that, but it's not the attitude of the Apostle Paul, who saw the world as an opportunity to proclaim. And it's certainly not the attitude of Jesus either who had every reason to look upon the world's problems, but saw the lost as like sheep without a shepherd. I read a couple of years back a wonderful book by an Australian author, Ray Williams, called Post-God Nation. The long title is How Religion Fell Off the Radar in Australia and What Might Be Done to Get It Back On. Roy's a fascinating guy who was a... Um, a uh, a leading lawyer who came to Christ. And the first half of the book, Roy discusses what's happened to the Christian faith, how it's declined from 
a fairly significant part in Australian history to being very much on the periphery. And the first half of the book's terrific. And the second half of the book, he tries to explain why. And like most of us, I, I don't think he's actually worked out the answer. I'm not sure anybody has. The point is, our society has moved and is continuing to move away from God. In the recent census figures, about 22% of Australians said they had no religion. In the Australian Defence Force, that percentage is nearly 60%. Now, why is that? Does the Australian Defence Force recruit from the more godless section of society? I don't think that's the answer. I think the answer is that the Australian Defence Force is younger than the average society. It's mostly filled up with 18 to 35-year-olds. That's where we're going as a society. That's the direction we're heading as a, as, a, as a movement. Our society's moving away from God. The challenge then is it's not going to be easier to reach out. It's going to be harder. But it's not going to be as hard as being chained to a wall in a Roman prison in the first century when it looked as though the Christian faith would be extinguished altogether. Paul was a shining light of faith. And that's the challenge for us as well. Faith is important, but so is hope. It, we continue to read in verse second half of 18 and then in verse 19. Yes, I will rejoice. I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers, God's provision of the spirit of Christ Jesus, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Eagerly, uh, for my deliverance, eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way ashamed and will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and I will continue and with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. I can never read this text of scripture without thinking of a sermon that I heard preached in this place about the verse in verse, verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The sermon was preached by a guy called Peter Bowes. Some of you will remember him. The occasion, I'm sure at least one person in here will remember, was the funeral service for Bill Camden. Am I right, Sue? Is that correct? Yeah, I thought I was right. I would have been in trouble if I was wrong. Bill and Sue Camden were for decades incarnational missionaries in Vanuatu. What they did in Vanuatu, in many ways very similar to what I do in the Navy, except they don't translate the Bible. They lived amongst the people. They got to know them. They worked with them. They worked beside them. And that day, Peter Bowes preached about Bill Camden, saying his life was full of service. And it was a reminder that all we do in life, we, we do. For to live is to Christ, and to die is gain. It's, it's, God's got a sense of humour when it comes to me and church house parties. It's very appropriate for me to be speaking at a church when you're on house party and you're not there because my confession is, for many years, I didn't like going to church house parties. 
I didn't like them because I missed my creature comforts and the communal living used to always drive me crazy. And God's got a sense of humour because instead he sent me away on a warship for 201 days to the Middle East with 235 people in a space much smaller than a Christian campsite. So for those of you that have wagged the church camp, look out, that's all I can say. It's, you, you may not know what God has in mind for you next. I spent that year of my life, 2016, um, a little over seven months on HMAS Darwin as we went on a long trip to the Middle East. We visited some interesting places, but of the 201 days we were away, we probably had 10 or 11 days off. You put your boots on at 6 o'clock in the morning, you take them off at 2200 in the evening, it's a long day. And I'm what's called just a dirty day hand. I don't work through the night as well, or not normally. The food's very good on a warship, except after you've been at sea for three or four weeks, because the fresh milk runs out after a few days, and then you have long life milk, and then that runs out, and then you have, uh, sorry, no, you have fresh milk, and then you have uh, light milk, and then you have the full cream long life milk and that runs out and then you have the full cream light milk which is horrible and you run out of cheese and you don't have any salad and the only real privacy you have is when you sit on the toilet and the only other time of privacy is at night when you close your the rack on your curtain the curtain on your rack on your bunk and you have some privacy until your cabin mate has a meeting at 2100 at 9 o'clock at night of his four other senior officers. Um, you miss your family, but all that pales into insignificance compared to what it would be like to be chained to the side of a Roman dungeon. Paul could see the goodness and the hope in his struggle. Paul could see, in spite of his difficulties, no matter what they were, that God could still do his work. Paul could see that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We all can have a whinge about our circumstances, whatever they are, whatever our struggles are, whatever our infirmities are, whatever our difficulties are. But the Apostle Paul shines above that and reminds us that to live in a way that honours God is above all, to have that hope. It's about faith and it's about hope, but it's about struggle. Verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come and see you or hear or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. How important is it for us to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel? For all of us are judged by what we say by what we do, not just by what we say. As a chaplain, I, am very, I benefit greatly in the, in the Navy that I stand in a tradition of over 100 years of chaplains who've served in peacetime and in wartime, who've gone 
to POW camps who've gone down with ships. And that tradition is what I stand on. And we all benefit when, as brothers and sisters, we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And we all pay a price when we do not live in accordance with what Christ has called us to do. There's much wrong with this world. And we are called to struggle, to honour God with our hearts. The challenge that Paul gives us is a challenge of resilience. Navy's very big on resilience, but the things that have really helped me in my life of being resilient, firstly, marrying Wendy. When I married Wendy, she taught me the expression, hard dogs for hard roads, puppies on the footpath. It's a great expression, isn't it? <laughs> Joining the Navy helped toughen me up a little bit as well. I learned the expression, toughen up, princess. Paul knew what it was to be resilient in the face of suffering. Again, as I reflect back to my days here, I remember once walking into Peter Bose's office there, in the, we used to be there in the foyer, and I had a bit of a whinge to him about how tough it was to be a student pastor of this church. He didn't give me much sympathy, but asked me a simple question. Could I show him the nail marks in my hands or the mark in my back where the spear, where my blood was flowing, water and blood? He reminded me that to be a Christian is to follow Christ. It's a struggle. We pay a price. But then sometimes when we least expect it, through the struggle comes opportunity. Through the struggle comes opportunity to bear witness to Christ in all sorts of ways. In many ways, a chaplain on a warship is a peripheral part of the team. They're not a central player. Until, until you're in Muscat, in Oman, at the end of what was our fifth patrol in the Middle East. It would have been the, fifth, the, the fourth and our fifth patrols were two three-week periods at sea with a very short visit to Dar es Salaam in between, which was very difficult. It had been very warm. It was the end of our time in the Middle East. It was getting very hot. It was, on average, 48 degrees during the days. We'd had six weeks of terrible weather at sea. And I'm very fortunate I don't get seasick, but terrible weather's horrible on a ship. It's just not fun. Um, the, the only advantage I had in my rack was that I couldn't roll out because it had such a big sag in it. It was like in a, being in a big indentation, which was good because I would have rolled out of it. It was bad weather. We finally got to Muscat in Oman. We got some time off. I got to a hotel in the city. I remember going down the street to get some food. I came back to my hotel room and my telephone rang. And it was the officer of the day. He said, Padre, you need to come back to the ship immediately. I said, Why? And he said, I can't tell you, the captain wants you to come back immediately. When you're a chaplain on a warship, that's not good news. So I remember getting in a cab, I rang Wendy and said, don't expect to hear from me for a few days, I think someone's died. And sure enough, a 27-year-old young sailor died in a hotel room in Oman. Um, it was reported in the press here and um, it was a tragic and very sad event. All of a sudden, the chaplain, who's pretty much on the periphery of things, 
becomes right at the centre. I walked back on the ship, I talked to the captain, he explained to me what happened and he said, now what do we do? And we had a lot to do. We had to deal with the Omani authorities, we had to try and organise a, a ramp ceremony in an Omani airport, we had to get young Cam home, we had to, in the end, fly back and take a funeral service in Brisbane. It was a rough few weeks. But it's a picture of what happens to us and our faith. Often our faith is on the outer. Often the faith is on the outer. And all of a sudden, society decides, actually, it's not on the outer. It needs to be more central. We need to pray for those opportunities and struggle and wait for when God will use us. The Apostle Paul knew what it was to be on the outer. And he knew what it was to be central to what God was doing. Paul in prison, in spite of his difficulties, needed to have faith. He needed to have hope and he needed to struggle. He needed to continue to struggle in the Christian faith. The faith we have is in many ways under threat in our society. It's easy to despair and give up. But it's helpful for us to go back to God's word and be reminded. What did I say to that young sailor who said, will God make a comeback? I think I said to him something like, who'd ever thought that colouring in books would become popular again? I mean, colouring in books, adults do colouring in now. Where did that come from? The weirdest things go out and in. Even faith, put our trust in God, have faith, hope and struggle. Shall we pray? Father, it is our rich desire to see faith in you at the centre of our society. We are not thrilled, Lord, to be living in a spiritual drought. But we know that faith in you waxes and wanes through the centuries. We know in the history of Australia it has. We know in the history of the Western world it has. And we know since your son, Lord, faith in him has at times been incredibly strong and at times almost disappeared. It's easy, Lord, for us to despair when our faith is at the periphery of society often rubbished. And yet, Lord, it's at that time especially that we are not to give up. We're to go back and to think again upon the person of Jesus and the ministry of Paul and be reminded, Lord, to put our trust in you, to put our faith, to be people of hope who could see all that we do in this life as good and then to die as gain. And to acknowledge the struggle, but see, Lord, you at the centre of that struggle, that we would not give up hope, but put our trust in you. For every person who's here this day, Lord, use us in the world that we live, in the communities that we live, amongst the people we live. Help us to be a light. Help us to be like Christ, living amongst the people, bearing witness to your love, and your grace. Amen.